My name is Scott Harris, and welcome to the Dairy Dive. Today, we're talking about alfalfa. Buckle up, because we're diving deep. First of all, we hope we can try to educate you so you learn just a little bit, a little bit. My whole life's been dairy farming. Some days you wonder why you ever milk cows. It's kind of just in the blood around here. I don't know what it is, but we like livestock. Buckle up. The Dairy Dive starts now. All right. Well, we were able to bring in and interview a gentleman named Kip Rowe. I've had the opportunity to work with Kip for uh, starting my third year working with Kip. Great guy. Great to work with. Very knowledgeable on agronomy from all aspects of seed. And, you know, I, I kind of joke about it in the opening that you'll hear that we think of uh, alfalfa or we, we start to think of the fall. We don't necessarily think of seed for a lot of us, but that's what we're going to talk about. So let's listen in as we have a conversation with Kip Rowe with Rob Seco regarding alfalfa. Well, I would definitely be happy to announce that we have a wonderful guest today who is a friend of mine, and I get the opportunity to work with him, and the gentleman is named Kip Rose. So, Kip, welcome to the Dairy Dive. I know it's not your first podcast experience, but I believe it's your first time on the Dairy Dive podcast, but welcome to the Dairy Dive podcast. Well, thank you for having me on. Yeah, I've done a few podcasts in the past, but have not done the Dairy Dive, so... All right. Happy to be well, a we are happy. And I, I think of it as a real honor. Well, we are definitely happy to have you here. So start off, kind of tell us uh, who you are, Kip, kind of where you're located, what you do, and all that fun stuff. Yeah, Kip Rowe, uh, live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Grew up uh, West River, South Dakota on a farm and a ranch. Uh, went to uh, South Dakota State University for uh, production agriculture and then started as a crop consultant out of uh college there. I grew my own territory here in the southeast part of the state and then uh, had the opportunity to come over to Rob Seco on the product team and then now for the last I think it's a little over three years um, been the regional manager for the NDSD team we call it. Uh, So North Dakota, South Dakota, a little bit into Nebraska and western Minnesota. Wonderful yeah I've had the uh, you know I've been a part of the Rob Seco team uh, started my third year a few just a few couple months ago, um, and Kip's been a tremendous resource for me and something I someone I utilize quite a bit from the agronomy side and 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 the sales side as well. And so great that Kip's going to be able to join us. And today, you know, Kip, when a lot of people think about fall, they think about football and they think about chili and leaves turning. But guys like me and you, we're seed guys, right? So we think about alfalfa. Alfalfa. <laughs> Yep. So uh, that's what we're going to look at today is we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the seeding of alfalfa and some things to think about. You know, before we get kind of into the kind of the the low part of this, let's think about, you know, there's been a lot of change in the alfalfa space, hasn't there? It's been quite a bit, uh, you know, and I'd call it consolidation more than anything. If you yeah. look at, you know, some breeding programs are shut down. Um, others uh, have been, they closed the doors and then sold recently. Um, so if we look at, mm-hmm. you know, what does that mean for the dairy producer? What does it mean for the beef producer? Anybody that's looking for alfalfa or, or looking for a high quality hay is, you know, I think there's going to be, you know, fewer people um, working in these genetic lines. So in that consolidation, um, might lack a little competition, maybe a little genetic diversity out there. But as a whole, I feel like the alfalfa space is in a, in a pretty good spot. I think there's a lot of good quality stuff out there. And I don't know that we'll see or feel a lot of change at the producer level. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. My opinion would kind of, from what I've seen, is I, I think there's actually more quality options available out there than what there once was. Um, I think b- companies are really bringing forward some pretty nice varieties. Uh, Rob Seco being one of those op- great ones, of course. But uh, but I do agree that I, I don't know that it's going to be felt a big change at the uh, at the grower level. But it is just interesting to know that there is a lot of changes in the space. So um, something to definitely be thinking about. So as we kind of look at alfalfa and we start to head into some planning time and we're you know, at the time of recording this, we're, we're right on that. I'm not sure exactly when this will drop, but it should be pretty quickly. Um, but as we head into the fall, Kip, what are some key factors that we want to be thinking about as we head into alfalfa planning for the fall? Well, I think just first and foremost, you know, um, be cognizant of what you had as a previous crop there. Um, and, and what you use chemically in the past. I mean, a lot of chemicals we use nowadays have some, some carryover restrictions that could um, inhibit our alfalfa planting or seed seedling. So uh, just make sure you're reviewing, okay, what did I have as a past crop? What is a, what have I done uh, chemically uh, to control those weeds? And, and, you know, am I in that uh, rotational period where, uh, you know, I don't have any concerns. Um, then I really look at, you know, we really need to make sure that we're getting some soil testing done. Uh, I've always felt, you know, personally, you, you, when you've got things like phosphorus and potassium that don't move a lot in the soil, uh, we've got a crop that we hope to last right around four to five years. So let's make sure we're, we know what we've got, if we've got any nutrient deficiencies. This is our real opportunity to get that crop off to a good start. Uh, you know, several areas uh, need ag lime. Um, so if you you need some ag lime and need to get it down, it, it, that really needs to be incorporated into the soil to to make the changes you need um, going forward. And then there's, you know, other micronutrients too. You know, it, certain parts of the territory I cover uh, need boron uh, more than others. But, you know, many of them, it's, uh, I'd say we're oftentimes lower in potassium in some areas I cover too. And that's a good opportunity for us to get uh, a good shot of potassium out there um, and get it worked into the ground where the, where that crop can utilize it for years going forward. We're certainly going to continue to supplement every year after that um, fertility, but me thinking, okay, what, what, what do I foundationally need to start with? Okay, what's been my previous crop? Am I, am I okay in my rotation? Am I okay chemically? And, um, what do I need to do fertility to make sure that I get this crop off to a good start to, to last me the next four to five years? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think we could, you know, I know at least from the dairy side, having uh, been on quite a few different varying dairy farms that sometimes we might make a mistake. I've seen guys make a mistake of treating alfalfa like a kind of just something we throw out there and we move on. We move on. We don't maybe test the soil like what you're talking about or, really examine that carryover residual herbicide or or whatever it may be and it doesn't it just doesn't get treated with quite as much love as what we tend to treat some of the other crops like corn or or soybean but it can be so impactful because as you're talking about let's say four years and let's say in your area i'm guessing kip four cuttings a year generally i'm guessing for the most part uh, pretty impactful if we don't do this correctly oh yeah i mean um alfalfa is not a cheap crop to invest in to put in because you know you're going to have it for over the next four to five years and i, I have seen it um, you know atrazine's been a common culprit for me in the past it's the guy didn't know he had it in the mix it was a you know a pre-mix and 
we don't get that alfalfa crop off to a good start and we've got to we've got to start back at square one uh, in the spring or in the following fall uh, so it, it can be it can be highly impactful yeah so let, let's talk a little bit and get into seed selection so there you know there's been a lot of some advancements mm. when it comes to alfalfa um, but what do you think about or what are you generally trying to advise on when it comes to seed selection when it comes to alfalfa so what what piece of ground is it going on um you know is it a is it a piece of ground where it's it holds a lot of water and we need a variety that has really good uh, disease protection is kind of what i'm thinking of first and what what is your objective with it too you know are you uh trying to get five cuttings a year Uh, are you just trying to get three cuttings a year and then moving on down from there you know growing up in the north the working in the north you know, winter hardiness is always a, a score that I pay attention to. It does get cold up there. I can <laughs> attest to that. Yes. Yeah, it, it does. And then fall dormancy too. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys, I, I don't know that they, they know what those ratings mean. You know, what's, what's a fall dormancy rating mean and what, what can it affect me on? And, and really that rating is just to, to look at and say, okay, how late in the season is this alfalfa going to continue to grow? Um, as it cools down and then how early in the spring is it going to green up so you know stuff that doesn't go dormant till late but uh you tries to green up super early that's going to be something with a lower winter hardy score and something that goes dormant a little earlier and then wakes up a little later you're getting past those frost dates uh, oftentimes those are going to be uh products that have a little better winter heart winter hardiness or fall dormancy um rating you know but with that too, you, you, you also kind of want to walk that tightrope of pushing it as much as you can. If you're somebody that, that needs a lot of hay and you're trying to be in a five cut system, you, you're going to want something that stays green a little later and greens up a little quicker. So it's kind of, you know, finding those hybrids that, that balance that tightrope. Yeah. And, and then also now too, in the alfalfa space, you have you have some Roundup Ready options oh, available yeah. potentially for that, and you also have some stuff that has a higher uh, lignin, you know, fiber digestibility aspect to them that you can now start to look at. Now you pay for those technologies, you do, um, you know, so you can add. But there's some value to that, right? That means there's good changes going on in that space. Yeah, it, you know, Roundup Ready alfalfa really does help on that. Um, you know, especially if we're doing a spring seeding, and I know we'll talk about that a little bit later, some of the difference between seed, spring and fall, but, you know, it's tougher to control um, some of those weeds in the spring as that seedling's trying to get up and get going. And that glyphosate application can really get you off to a good start, keep things clean. And then, you know, if the stand you know, starts to thin out towards the end of its uh, life, uh, gives the opportunity for, for weeds and other things to grow, and, and we can use a glyphosate application at that time. And then hard yeah. extra, you know, just a little better, better digestibility, feedability, um, really what uh, I think they would call the, the guys that are going after super high quality. And, and you know a little bit more about that than I do. Yeah, I mean, I, you think about it from the aspect of, uh, you know, the biggest driver behind components in a, in a, for a dairy cow specifically um, is fiber. You know, so that's what creates my butter fats. That's what creates my proteins. Um, and, and the biggest, the big portion of that is going to be your grass part of your diet. And so using something that has a little more energy and a little more digestibility can be pretty impactful for sure. 
So, so let's kind of get away from maybe varietal specific things and talk more about just some in general seed stuff. So when we're talking about like depth and, you know, hmm. rates and things like that, do you have some kind of main things you'd like to communicate about there when it comes to that side of it? Yep. Yeah, for sure. The, th- the first thing off my top of my head when I do that is it's, a, it's about seedbed preparation. Um, you know, alf- alfalfa, you can no-till alfalfa and, and you can be successful with it. But for the most part, um, alfalfa doesn't like a lot of competition from leftover residue. And so, you know, getting that ground to what I call as black as possible, um, getting that, that previous crop residue buried or off there is, is vitally important in establishing the nat- that next crop. And so is it a double disc? Is it, uh, you know, some, some would say in uh, the east, a mobile or plow works great. And then those are great to, to make sure that we're getting it, you know, flat level black. And then from there, um, you, whether you want to use a cultipacker or you want to use a roller, we need to make sure that we've got a good firm seed bed um, to plan into. And, you know, the, you know, I guess I was taught old school. Um, you just get down off your tractor and you walk across it. And if you're, you shouldn't leave a boot imprint more than about a quarter of an inch to two and a half an inch at most. And that's about the perfect seed bed to plant into. So good and good and black and uh, nice and firm are kind of some general rule of thumbs. And then, you know, when it comes to depth, about a quarter of an inch in there. And, um, you know, there's the always old rule of thumb saying too, you should see about maybe five to 10% of the seed still sitting on the top by the time you get done. Yeah. Yep. That's what I've always heard too, as well. Five to 10%. If you can see that, um, that's definitely where you want to be at uh, seed rate. Do you have any, any recommendation on a particular seed rate or do you think that varies quite a bit on the type of soil you're in and I, I think it does. It de- depends quite a bit on the type of soil you're in, the environment you're into. Um, you know, are we a more arid environment or are we, you know, more coastal environment where we get plenty of moisture? But, you know, I, I say 18 to 20 pounds fits my geography a lot because, you know, we've got a seed coat on there. But at the end of the day, we just need to make sure we get 10 to 15 pounds of pure live seed. Yep, absolutely. And it does vary a lot, quite, quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just had phone calls. Uh, last week from two different individuals that uh, one was at 20, one was at 15 and they, and they both felt like they were perfectly suited and they probably are for the way they were, they were in two completely different geographies too. So, so that can vary a lot, but uh, pretty good stuff. But my big thing has always been, you know, after, you know, once we get that and after we evaluate the stand, once it's, uh, once it's growing up, I I generally want about 32 um, little plants per square foot. Uh, when I consider that to be a really good established stand, a good, uh, a good growth, good start. Excellent. That's a good, good point. Good way, good, good evaluation tool, everybody that you should definitely want to want to look at and make sure that you're getting, uh, the regrowth that you need. And, and, you know, that would obviously help a lot when it's time to decide about replanting or not. Yeah. You know, I did a lot of that, uh, I followed the, after emergence started, I followed that a lot um, in every field that, would, that we would put to alfalfa and running out there with that square going across in every spot, you know, because you, if you have the opportunity to replant alfalfa, you want to do it as quick as, as quick as you absolutely can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, gosh, you can almost make an argument, Kip, it's as crucial as anything you're going to deal with on the corn side or, or soybean side. Yeah, because you know, I've referenced it a couple of times. I mean, you're trying to get that off to a good start because that's that's a crop you want there for the next four to five years. Absolutely, for sure. 
Well, that's kind of kind of the main things I had kind of on my list, Kip. But as you think about, you know, any other thoughts or anything you want to ensure to get across to anybody who's listening, who's think, thinking about alfalfa for this fall or, or even spring? No, I just think, uh, you know, evaluate, you know, what, what are the needs? What, what, what are you going to do? If you're thinking about fall alfalfa, you know, we might be getting a little late in the northern geographies. You often think about you on a six-week period before your average frost date in order to get that plant up and growing and, and off to, uh, to establish a root because, you know, as, as a plant grows it, it's going to take those sugars it establishes above ground and put them back into the root. And that's going to be its energies for survival over the winter. So a good six week period before, before your first frost. And then, you know, fall oftentimes, um, you know, some of the risks are, it's a little, it can be drier, um, in late summer, early fall. Uh, but there is some advantages to spring in from weed competition. And then also generally your first cutting has a little bit more tonnage than spring. Now spring, when we think about spring, some of the advantages are it's generally wetter. Uh, you know, alfalfa does germinate at 40 degrees. So it is one of the first crops that you can get out there and, and, and get started on um, before everything else starts. So uh, generally get a little less tonnage off that first cutting, but uh, the advantage there is typically moisture, um, we can, we could probably, we oftentimes can get a better established stand in the spring than we can, the can the fall, just if you're in a more arid environment. So would you say it, it, then based on kind of what you've been talking about and you've mentioned a couple different times, the importance of getting that early start or getting that good start, I should say, not necessarily early, but really healthy, good start. Um, that's gotta be a key factor than deciding between spring or fall is when, what can I put my seed in the best scenario? I think that's a, it's always been a huge driver for me. Um, you know, what's, uh, what are our current soil conditions like? What does that forecast look like? Um, what, what fits best into our system? Yep. Absolutely. Perfect. So, all right. Well, I think that was all I had, Kip. Is there anything else at all that you wanted to hit on in relation to alfalfa and as we head into, uh, this time of year? No, I just uh, appreciate the time here. And if you're uh, thinking about alfalfa, I'd uh, suggest you give Rob Seco, uh, Rob Seco a look for your alfalfa needs. We've got fantastic alfalfa. Absolutely. It is, a, it is an important part of our Rob Seco portfolio. We, uh, we recently just launched a forage division within Rob Seco, and alfalfa fits under that forage division. So while there is a lot of companies out there who are kind of for lack of better wording, running away from that and kind of getting out of that space, we're actually running toward it. Um, so I don't know, Kip, if that makes us really smart or really dumb, but I think it's going to turn out all right. Time will tell. <laughs> Time will tell. Yeah, that's how I live my life, man. Time will tell. It'll prove out. It'll prove out one way or the other. So, well, well Kip, thank you again right for taking for the time. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Well, thanks for taking the time, Kip. Yeah, thank you. If somebody does have some follow-up questions, maybe they'd like to ask you, Kip, or maybe they are located in your territory and want to talk to you a little bit more, how, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, just shoot me an email at K-R-O-W-E at RobSeco.com, or you can uh, give me a call at 605-842-6805. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Kip. Well, with that, we're going to close it out. We do want to remind everybody to uh, definitely check us out. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, take the time to do that. We've got some great content coming. We've recorded a few episodes recently that are that are really good, including this one. And so we want to make sure and don't miss out on things. So subscribe to that. Uh, you can also go to our Facebook page, Master's Choice, or you can go to Rob Seco. 
um, Seacorn.com for the Master's Choice website and RobSeco.com for the RobSeco website. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram. A lot of good stuff on LinkedIn going out, and YouTube's has some great content on it as well with some exciting stuff we're doing in the industry. So with that, we're going to close out. Hope everybody has a great day.